Welcome, and thank you for listening to the West Hills Podcast. West Hills Church is a balanced, engaged, authentic, disciple-making church that serves the St. Louis, Missouri area with Sunday services at 9 and 1045 a.m. For more information on our church, go to westhillsstl.org. Now, here's the sermon from Sunday. But as we begin this morning, I thought I'd, I'd open with a quick joke. I don't know if you've heard the one about the pastor who uh, skipped church one Sunday to play golf, and uh, he teed off on the first hole, and he, a huge gust of wind carried his ball an extra 100 yards, and he sank a 450-yard uh, hole-in-one and uh, foot, right? Foot? That's feet, not yards. That would be impossible. Yeah. Oh, we can make it yards. God can do anything. Uh, 400 foot uh, hole in one. And, and an angel turned to God and asked, why'd you do that? Why'd you reward him? God said, no, that's punishment. Who's he going to tell? That's a pastor skipping church on Sunday. Even pastors, it turns out, can be guilty of, of devaluing the church, and the bride of Christ, the very body of Christ, as Scripture calls her. Acts 20, 28 says that Jesus loved the church so much that he bought her with his own blood. Ephesians 5, 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so this morning as we continue our, our three-part uh, mini-series, New Year's resolutions, um, to kick off 2023, we must recognize that if we are going to recommit ourselves to the Lord this year, as I exhorted us to last year, uh, last week, then we must recommit ourselves to his church as well. To love the Lord is to love his people. 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life, that we've been saved, that we are truly God's children. How? Because we love the brothers. It's when we love God's family, we love our spiritual brothers and sisters, that, according to God's word, we have the assurance of faith. So, how do we love the church? Well, I'm going to commend to you four simple practical ways this morning that you can love the church this year. To love not just the church in the abstract, but to love this church. So there are 59 one another commands that God gives his church in the New Testament, and not a single one of them makes any sense outside the context of the local embodied church. Accept one another, instruct one another, live at peace with one another, greet one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens. You can't do any of that with a church who is gathered halfway across the country because you woke up late and decided to just stay home and live stream the service because you like that other megachurch pastor's preaching better than mine anyway, you, you, you can't be the church with them. The only way a Christian can obey any of these New Testament commands is by belonging to a real, embodied, local church. And there's not a single passage that fits perfectly with all four of these calls to action this morning. So we're going to be bouncing around a lot. The Bible has a lot to say about the importance of the church but uh, it's helpful to have one central passage that we're going to be grounded in, working from, expositing together. And so I couldn't find one any better than 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. And so I'm going to invite you now to stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. As I said, 1 Timothy th chapter 3, 
verses 14 and 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he says this, hear the word of the Lord. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for truth that is worthy of our pillaring and buttressing. The truth, glorious truth, that we can be set free from our sin because of your Son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes, our minds, our hearts on him this morning, that you would make much of Jesus as we open his word, would you open our hearts, our eyes, our hearts and minds to receive, see, hear, experience personally the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Number one, Christ calls us to come. Before you can greet, accept, instruct, forgive, love, before you can do anything else, you have to simply show up. Where do we find this command in 1 Timothy 3? Well, I would argue it is implied by the very name that God uses here and uses an additional 72 times elsewhere in the New Testament. This name for us, the name church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It means assembly or gathering. What defines the church as much as anything else at an etymological level is its communal, corporate, congregational nature. The church is a gathering. So, for example, I've used this before, bears repeating. Whatever it was that we were doing in the spring of 2020 for those two months after COVID hit while we were all, you know, Scrambling and me and the worship team were coming up here on Saturdays to film a worship service and then post it online for you all to watch on your own on Sundays. Whatever that was, and I'm not blaming myself or us, I think we did the best we could given the circumstances, but it wasn't church. It wasn't church because it wasn't a gathering. And what makes the church gathering so unique and so special isn't just that we are gathered because you can go out to lunch this afternoon and be gathered with people. You can be an ecclesia of the hungry. You can join us on Saturday mornings for pickup basketball. Be an ecclesia of hoopers. But what makes the church the church is that we are a gathering of God's people. We are a gathering of Christ's own body. Just look at how Paul identifies the church above. We are the church of the living God, he said. Now, you could read that as we are the church that belongs to God. And certainly he means that. But remember, ecclesia means gathering. So if we substitute that word in, we could also understand Paul here more literally as saying, this right here is the gathering of the living God. What we're doing right now in real time is the gathering of the living God. 
as in Sunday mornings are the time of the week when God himself gathers with his people in a unique way. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them, among them. Ephesians 2.22 says, in Christ you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when those of us who have been saved by grace through faith and have thus been filled with God's Holy Spirit, when we come together as his people in his name for the purpose of worshiping him, according to God's word, God himself is here with us, dwelling amongst us. Psalm 22, uh, verse 3, puts it this way. God inhabits the praises of his people. That's an astounding truth. Because as 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, we are the temple of the living God. Again, his Holy Spirit now lives inside us, plural, us. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. So what does all of this mean? Well, church, it means that you really need to come on Sundays. Because when you miss, the rest of us don't just miss out on you. We don't just miss out on Chad, miss out on Christina, miss out on Luke. We miss out on God. We miss out on a, a something, a part of the very presence of God himself. Listen, I love y'all. I love each of you individually that I know. I really do. You're my spiritual family. But even more than you, I love the God who lives inside you. Don't deprive me of him on Sundays this year. Don't deprive us of him. Don't deprive yourself of experiencing God in and amongst and, and, and with all these other brothers and sisters here on Sundays by staying home. Again, listen to the, the language. We are God's temple. I will make my dwelling among them. Remember the old in, in the Old Testament when God dwelt with his people when his presence lived inside the temple in Jerusalem, Holy of Holies. Can you imagine, two examples, can you imagine being an Israelite out in the, the Sinai wilderness for those 40 years in the desert and God coming down to dwell amongst you, a cloud of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night, to guide you, to protect you, to comfort you. Can you imagine experiencing all that, the presence of the living God, and then thinking... Yeah, I'm good. I'm kind of tired. Y'all go on ahead. Keep, keep marching toward uh, the Holy Land. I, I'm going to hang out here in the wilderness by myself. Or, or say you were the high priest and you were granted access to enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple once per year to meet with God. Can you imagine thinking, yeah, pass. I'm going to go play around a golf instead. Of course not then why in the world, when Jesus is promised where two or three are gathered in my name, listen, Jesus has told us where he's going to be on Sunday mornings. He's here. Why in the world would we want to be anywhere else in the world? Listen, if you are sick, please stay home on Sundays this year. That's the loving thing to do. We're called to love one another. We'll miss you. We'll, we'll get over it. Stay home. If you are afraid of getting sick by coming... If you come, then I would encourage you gently to consider the examples of brothers like Mike Pijou, who sits up there every morning, every Sunday in, in the first service, Isaiah Burridge, who have gone through life-threatening forms of cancer and undergone immune-suppressing 
uh, immune-destroying treatments that have left them their health compromised, but they put on a mask and they come every Sunday because the church is worth it. If you're traveling this year, find another church to gather with on Sunday morning and then go back and listen to our service on your trip home because otherwise you're missing out on important family stuff. If you're tired, we've got coffee. You need to come. If your kid has sports, show them what's more important this year. Come here instead. If you're scheduled to work, look for a new job. Maybe you can't find one in your field where you get every single Sunday off. It doesn't hurt to look. Church is that important. So let's make this even more practical and personal this morning. Here are the numbers at our church at West Hills. We have 452 adults listed in our church directory who call West Hills their church home. By the way, if you're not in our directory or if you're not sure or if you've changed addresses or phone numbers in the past year, uh, again, that connection card, that contact card in your bulletin, please fill that out. Mark, add me to the email list. Make sure uh, we'll get you added to the directory. But even without some of you newcomers who have now become regulars but aren't yet listed there in our directory, we've got at least 452 folks who call West Hills their church home. Again, that's not members. Only about half of those people have actually joined West Hills officially, covenantally, as members. That's a whole other issue I don't have time for this morning. Membership. But do you want to guess, of the 452, what are average attendance, those who come on a Sunday morning at West Hills. Between both services, you can look around. This is 1045, 9 o'clock. It's about the same. You want to guess what our average attendance is on a Sunday morning here? Not even close. 250. We never hit 300. Maybe Easter and Christmas. 250. That means that on any given Sunday here, we are missing almost half of the body of Christ. Now, as I said, any given Sunday, some of us are going to be sick. Some of us are going to be traveling. But 200? 200? Out of 450? Almost half the church. And here is the saddest part, friends. We're doing better than most of the churches out there. The average churchgoer in America attends church 1.5 times per month. 18 Sundays per year. Here, it's 30. The average West Hillian comes to church 30 times a year. Are we going to pat ourselves on the back? It's 52 Sundays. Now listen, I don't point this out to try and guilt you into coming this year. Please do not come to church on Sundays this year out of guilt. Come on Sundays because you want to meet with the living God. Come on Sundays because you earnestly desire to worship him for all that he's done for you. You earnestly desire to experience his living presence as he inhabits your worship. Come on Sundays because you need to hear from him as we open his word together and it's preached. Come on Sundays to church, to be the church, to be the gathering of the living God. Number two, Christ calls us not just to come, but to live life together. We are not just an ecclesia, a 
gathering. According to 1 Timothy 3.15, we are also the household of God, the oikos, the family of God. An oikos, family, household, is a group of people who do life together. If we want more context for what Paul means when he uses this term, we can look just a few verses back. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, where Paul is listing the qualifications of being an elder, a spiritual father of the church, and he writes this, he must manage his household well, his own household, his oikos, same word. What does Paul mean? Are we looking for men whose physical houses are in good repair, who know how to fix a leaky sink and keep their gutters clean, their lawns are pristine? I hope not, because I would be disqualified. No, Paul clarifies what he means by oikos, household. In the next verse, verse 5, he says he must manage his household well, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own oikos, how will he care for God's church? We are God's household, his children. Listen, kids deserve good parents. God's kids deserve the best parents, spiritually. That's what we try and give you here and the elders and the leaders of this church. That's what Paul is saying. But the point I'm trying to make in that is that we cannot call ourselves God's oikos. We cannot call ourselves God's family. We can't call one another brothers and sisters if we're not doing life together. If it's just 75 minutes of listening to me talk. Listen, if it feels awkward to go out in the foyer today and, and say to someone, Morning, brother. How was your week this week, sister? If, if using that kind of language feels awkward, we're probably not doing it right. We're probably not actually an oikos. We may be an ecclesia. We may be a gathering, a congregation, but God wants even more for us than that, West Hills. He has made us into a spiritual family. Look back with me at just a few of those one another's that the Bible exhorted us to. Love one another as brothers, 1 Peter 3.8 says. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12.10. This is explicitly familial language. And most of these one another's only make sense of a group of people who think of each other and treat one another like family. Mark 9.50, be at peace with each other. Be patient, bearing with one another, Ephesians 4. Forgive each other. The Bible assumes that we're going to get angry and impatient and sin against each other. You realize that? God wouldn't have had to instruct us to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another if all he had in mind was a group of folks who come and passively listen to someone preach for, for, for 75 minutes. No, God's word, God's word assumes that we're going to fight. You realize that? James 5.9, don't grumble against each other. Galatians 5.15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you're going to destroy each other. Who do you grumble against? Who do you bite and consume? You reserve that kind of behavior for your family, don't you? I mean, you wouldn't dare do that to a stranger. Biblical command after command, all assuming that you and I are intimately involved in one another's lives. Confess your sins to each other. You do that with perfect strangers? Hey, listen, I know we just met. I'm Will, by the way. But let me tell you all the deepest, darkest you know, spiritual shortcomings in my life. Admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. I know we, we don't really know each other, but I need to correct you. 
Let me put you in your place this morning. No, these are things that families do, though. Healthy families do all 59 of these things for one another. And so, again, let's make it practical. Consider the numbers. We have really two ministries here at West Hills that are specifically designed for the purpose of fostering this kind of brotherly, sisterly love between spiritual family members who are doing life alongside one another. We've got life groups and we've got discipleship groups. If you're new to West Hills, quick overview, life groups, co-ed groups, 8 to 15 people who do life together. Discipleship groups, gendered groups, 4 to 6 women, 4 to 6 men who do life together. We have 16 life groups, we have 15 discipleship groups here. And we have 209 West Hillians who are living life alongside one another in either a life group or a discipleship group or both. Now, again, caveat, if we wanted to just feel good about ourselves this morning, I could point out to you that it is virtually unheard of in the church world. I I, I challenge any of you, find me a church, another church in America, that has almost half of the church, half of their Sunday morning crowd, 209 out of 452 people plugged into small group community elsewhere. That's unheard of. doesn't happen. I listened to a church uh, strengthening podcast the other day. They were interviewing some pastor who's considered you know, small group's guru because he managed to get 20% of his church in a small group. We got 46% here. Praise God. It's amazing that we are a relational, loving uh, a family of believers here. Let's not take it for granted. And yet, that means there's still four, 54% of you who aren't in that kind of loving, intentional, deep Christian community. At least not here. You're not living life alongside these wonderful brothers and sisters here at West Hills. And so if that is you this morning, I just want to lovingly extend an invite to you not to settle for just coming in 2023 for gathering with the church that's important but go even deeper this year by living your life with the church allowing yourself to know and be known by others an intentional Christian community where you can practice all 59 of these New Testament one another's. Eat with one another. Carry one another's burdens. Teach one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. You can only do that if you know someone. And perhaps even one day eventually when your small group is really close, like when you're truly a family, you'll be able, Romans 16, 16, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Number three, and I should just say this, stop right here in the middle of the sermon. I'm maybe not mostly, but I'm a lot preaching to the choir this morning. A lot of y'all have all four of these boxes checked. Wonderful, that's awesome. But what about the other half of people that aren't here this morning? As a, they're the ones that need to hear it, but, but they're not even tuning in virtually anymore. They need you to be the church and to reach out to them. This is part of what living life together means. Like I'm making my pastoral calls every month. Hey, we miss you. We miss you. 
But, but some of y'all need to start reaching out to some of the folks that you haven't seen in months and months and months. This is what it means to hold one another accountable. All these one another's. Number three, Christ calls us to come together, to live life together, and thirdly, he calls us to serve. He calls us to serve one another and others outside the church. Paul subtly points us here to the most important way that we can serve one another within the church and others outside the church in 1 Timothy 3.15 when he identifies the church as a pillar and buttress of the truth. Two questions emerge there. First, what is the truth? And second, what does it mean to be a pillar and buttress of the truth? Well, the answer to the first is pretty straightforward. What is the truth? God's Son is the truth, and God's Word is the truth. God's Son, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God, no one gets into heaven except through Him. It's the truth everyone needs to know. And the way that we come to know Him Come to know Jesus in a personal saving way is through God's word, the Holy Bible. It is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus himself prayed for us. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus and the Bible are the church's two tremendous twin truths. What does it mean then that you and I are called to be a pillar and buttress of that truth. Well, now we need to, to know a thing or two about uh, architecture. The Apostle Paul was fond of architectural metaphors elsewhere, Ephesians 2. Uh, he once again calls us, the church, members of the household of God, the oikos of God. But this time, he's thinking less of the family metaphor. He's thinking like a house, a, a physical house. Because he goes on to say, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the inspired testimonies of the apostles and prophets, the holy scriptures, is the church's foundation. Bible, foundation. And then he goes on. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so, so Christ, that's another architectural image. Christ is the centerpiece of the church. He holds it all together. Jesus and Bible, foundation, cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, the house, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. House becomes a temple. All architecture, right? What is our role in this structure, in this temple that God is building? Well, back to 1 Timothy 3, we are a pillar and a buttress. What does that mean? A pillar offers support by holding the structure up. Uh, they often, though, also serve an aesthetic function as well. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So when Timothy and his congregation read this letter and Paul's imagery here of a pillar, their minds would have immediately gone to the temple of Artemis. It's the biggest, most famous temple in the ancient world, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, standing right there in Ephesus in their backyard, and it's 127 prominent pillars. It was the most defining architectural uh, focal point of the temple of Artemis, was its pillars. Uh, William Barclay, commentator, explains each one of these 127 pillars was a gift from a different king. All of them were made of marble. Some of them were studded with jewels and overladen with gold. 
So as a pillar, the church's job is not only to support the truth by holding it high for all outsiders to see, but to do so beautifully as well. To attract outsiders to want to come in. The gospel, it's the most beautiful truth there is. The truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners like you and me. That truth deserves to be held high and to be ordained, embellished with the most ornate, marble, jewels, gold-encrusted beauty of any truth out there. We want the world to behold the truth of the gospel from miles away in all its radiant splendor. That's a pillar. A buttress, by contrast, also provides support to a structure by holding its walls in. Dustin Benji writes this on April 15, 2019. People worldwide were glued to their TVs and social medias. The roof of Notre Dame de Paris Cathedral erupted in flames. The cathedral spire snapped in two like a twig, crashing 314 feet into the nave through the ceiling that skilled artisans had carved by hand uh, almost a thousand years ago using 5,000 oak trees. During the blaze, there was much speculation as to whether Notre Dame's 28 flying buttresses would collapse inward and bring down the entire building. Fortunately, they did not collapse, but it was a reminder to everyone watching that these buttresses, constructed in the 12th century, were the reason the structure has stood so long. Without them, the whole edifice would have cascaded to the ground like matchsticks. So not only are we pillars to hold the truth of God's word up for outsiders to see and be drawn to, but we are also called as buttresses to hold the walls of the structure itself up and in. Remember, the church is the structure, and so we hold one another up. We build one another up. First, first uh, Thessalonians 5 says we encourage one another. We buttress the truth by providing gospel support for one another. To keep the walls of your life from caving in. I'm regularly talking to people in pastoral counseling. As I'm making those calls, hey, we miss you, we miss you. How's it going? My life's falling apart. Wonder why. God designed the church to buttress the walls of your life. And you're ignoring it. Keep the walls in. To provide extra reinforcement. That's why you come on Sundays, isn't it? Because most of y'all have been Christians for decades now. Most of us at West Hills. That's just the kind of church we are. You've read the, the Bible cover to cover, some of you multiple times. Many of you, it might be even rare that you would come on a Sunday and learn something brand new anymore. But guess what? You still need to be here. Why? For the reinforcement. Because your flesh is so weak, and the devil is so crafty, and the world is so loud that the truth is gets pummeled and twisted and drowned out and you need constant reminders at least once a week on Sundays. That's why what we are doing here on Sundays is so important, church. We are pillaring and buttressing the truth for one another and for the outside world, a lost and desperate world. Lest we get too comfortable as the household of God, and we stop at points one and two. Y'all come, and sure, I'm good. Live life with others, a bunch of friends. That sounds great. Like all one big happy spiritual episode of, of friends. 
That, that, that sounds great. Let's not forget we've got a job to do. Uh, pillars and buttresses have jobs. Hold up, hold in. And that's why Christ calls us not just to come, not just to live life together, but to serve. God's word, the truth, calls us to serve one another and those outside the walls of the church with the love and the truth of Christ. We serve one another within the church as buttresses. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Mark 10.44, Jesus declares, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Hebrews 6.10, God will not overlook your work and the love that you've shown his name in serving the saints. You show God love, his name love, when you serve his church. And we also serve outsiders, the unchurched as well, as pillars by holding the truth up. Matthew 5.16, Jesus exhorts us, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your name, your Father in heaven. We'll talk more about that, go in in depth on that point next week uh, when we focus on need-oriented evangelism. But let's wrap up point number three here by making it very personal and practical again. We have 22 different ministries going on all the time here at West Hills. And we just got done at the end of the year, end of year, thank you, giving out 165 thank you blankets to those of you who generously served this church in one of those 22 weekly ministries over the course of the last year, 165 volunteers. Now, again, I'm sure that there are churches out there who would love to have 36.5% of their people plugged in, serving somewhere. We're all familiar with the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Now, maybe... Some churches say, you know what, if we could get twice that, like West Hills, we could get almost 40% plugged in serving, that'd be great. 36.5%, should we pat ourselves on the back? Or should we repent in sackcloth and ashes that 63.5% of those who call West Hills your church home, almost two-thirds of our church, is not regularly serving anywhere in the church right now. Once again, I'm not looking to guilt you this morning. I simply want to show you the need practically, remind you of God's call biblically, and then invite you to respond tangibly this week. And so here, quickly, those three things. First, the need. Brad and Paula Baum lead our our welcome team they still need a dozen folks to serve as ushers for the 1045 service if, uh, in order to fill out their volunteer rotation uh, for this ne- next new year. If you can stand, smile, and hand someone a bulletin, you can serve. Uh, Pastor Brian still needs about a half dozen more volunteers for the audiovisual team to fill out his rotation. If you can click a mouse button, you can be trained to serve. We've had eight babies born in the last three months. We have another six due to be born in the coming months that we know of. Uh, We opened a second nursery class just this morning. We are about to need quite a few more West Hills kids, volunteers. If you can rock babies and change diapers, you can serve your church. 
But here's the thing. Even if you can't do any of that, I'm looking around and some of you, health-wise, whatever, age, you, you, you can't stand for a half an hour anymore. You can no longer physically pick up a baby. You don't know how to work the computer. Guess what? You can still serve. We've got a place for you. How about the prayer team? If you can pray, you can serve your church. You can get a blanket. The amazing thing is, we, we, and here's the thing, we're actually making it work as a church. I make it sound like we're in dire straits, like the wheels are falling off around here. I mean, look, physically, the, the, the walls of the building are, are fine. Like in, in, in the service, I mean, you know, we, the tech is working, the, the vocalists sound great. I mean, I'm, we make it work. I'm sure the facilities team, you know, uh, Brian back there would, would love to recruit more volunteers, right, to help make sure the walls stay up even longer or whatever, clean more toilets. But here's the, we make it work. We make it work with only a third of you. Just imagine what we could do if we doubled that number. Just imagine if, even if we just said, there's a third of y'all who are always just going to be passive consumers. You're not going to get it. But what if we could get the middle third of you to join the one third who are already actively serving and, and you got up and, and started pulling your weight around here and we got two-thirds of the church serving, imagine the kind of ministry impact we could make. We could raise the pillar twice as high. We could strengthen, buttress the walls twice as strong. I mean, that's the kind of thing that gets me excited as a pastor. To, then you can start dreaming about where God is leading us next into the future when you don't have to spend your time trying to help your ministry leaders, deacons, recruit volunteers to fill the, the remaining existing gaps for, for ministries we can't already get covered. Brothers and sisters, the need is great. And God's call is clear. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. If you belong to Christ Jesus, he has uniquely gifted you for the express purpose of serving his church. Do it. Third, invitation to respond. Last week, had the QR code, had you pull out your phones and just snap it in, in real time, mid-service. I considered doing that here, just giving you a QR code, make it as easy as possible for you to serve at this church. I'm not going to do that for three reasons. First, I don't want to take up valuable service time. A second, I think that it should really be more of a prayerful, thoughtful decision anyway. I want you to just, you know, in the moment feel conviction of sin and, you know, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do that. I want you to go home and pray about it. Where is God calling you to serve? And so the response that I'm going to call you to today, I repeat, if you are not already serving somewhere, because I totally appreciate the fact the 165 of you who are already serving would for sure be the first ones, if I did show you a QR code, you would be the first ones with your phone out to sign up for a second or a third or a fourth ministry to volunteer in. God love you. We need you, but I'm talking specifically to the 290 people here who are not pulling their weight, who God has gifted for the purpose of serving the church, and who are ignoring that gift. I'm talking to them right now, asking them to obey him and step up. And so what I'm asking the 290 of you who aren't currently serving somewhere is to do three things. Number one, make sure you are on our church email list. So you can do that. 
by pulling out the connection card in your bulletins, write your name, your email address, check the box, add me to the email list. You will get an email. This, did you know that if we have your contact information, you get an email from West Hills Church every Thursday afternoon? 85% of you don't know that. I know that. I know that because I can see who opens the emails. 15% of our church checks their, their email from West Hills every week. All right? Every Thursday afternoon, you get a nice little email, everything you need to know about life at West Hills Church. Give us your address. Get on our email list. Number two, check said email. This Thursday, you're going to get an email. I want you to open it up, scroll down. You're going to see a button that says, I'm... Sign me up. I'm interested in volunteer. We'll work on the wording. Volunteer. I'm going to volunteer this year. You can click that button, and then it's going to take you to a form, and you can check. You can see all 22 ministries, and you can check which options you, you know, feel prayerfully like God has gifted you to, to, to be able to serve this church. There's an other box. You might start a ministry we don't even have yet. Maybe God's calling some of you to do that. So find the email. Click the link. Wait, that was number three. It's really just two steps. Find the email is two. Click the link is three. It's that easy. Get an email, check an email, click a link. And then respond. I should add a fourth step. Respond when Pastor Brian emails you. Hey, thanks for signing up for the AV team. Let's get together and talk about training. Respond to his email. Four things. But the third reason that I'm not putting the link up on the screen right now is I want to be gentle but Frank, when I say this, if you are not willing to go to the trouble of checking an email and clicking a link and responding to an email, if you cannot follow those three simple instructions, then we don't want you to serve here. Because you will not be able to follow Pastor Thad's instructions when he teaches you how to make coffee on Sunday. You'll ruin the coffee for all of us. <laughs> because if you can't seek out an email, on Thursday, then you won't seek out a visitor on Sunday, and we don't want you at the info bar. We want people who, who have eyes that, you know, seeking out. Who's the person who looks lost, who looks new? Where's the kids check in? Seek them out. Be the church. Serve a visitor. We're going to raise the bar in 2023. We don't want just warm bodies. We're raising the bar because we're raising a pillar. We're raising a gospel that is worthy of being displayed for all the world in the most glorious fashion. Well, faithful, good, diligent servants who show up on time, who serve, who do all things, Colossians 3.23, as unto the Lord. If Jesus was the pastor of this church, how early would you show up to make the call? Like, how would you do the job if Jesus was your deacon, your ministry leader? Serve the church. Finally, number four, Christ calls us to give. Come, live, serve, give. Christ calls us to give. I'm sure there won't be many tears shed that I've run out of much time, three or four minutes to talk about giving. So let me just cut to the chase. Pillars aren't free. Buttresses cost money. And as much as I would love to say that I've got the best job in the world and I would do it for free, the truth is I've got a family, a growing family that I have to feed. So do the other Five staff members here. The, the truth of God's word is the laborer deserves his wages. First Timothy 5, pay your pastor. You wouldn't go to the doctor for health services 
You wouldn't go to the mechanic for automotive services. You wouldn't go to the chef for gastronomic services and expect to walk out without paying a bill. You know why I don't bill you every Sunday? Because that would deprive you of the joy of giving. God loves a cheerful giver. He tells us, 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a joyful, willing giver. If I build you, then you wouldn't be able to give. I'd just be taking. And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, to take. And so instead, God sets it up this way in the church. It's crazy. No other, I mean, what other, I mean, some nonprofit, but other organizations, it's like, please give. We're not going to bill you for this service that we're going to give you for free, but, but please give. God just sets it up to, for you to voluntarily give 10%. I don't have time to give you a biblical defense of the tithe this morning. I did record a whole Ask the Pastor episode on that a couple years back. I'd be happy to uh, direct you to tithing. Some of you are called to step up your giving 10% this, this week, this year. Of course, have no idea what percentage you give. Don't need to know, don't want to know. But I do at least know if you give. And I won't apologize for this. Listen, I know who gives to this church. And I will be writing a thank you note, personal thank you note to you, those of you who gave to support the gospel ministry of this church in 2022. Thank you. I will be sending another thank you. Dave Holmes will be giving your giving statement here in the next week or two. But I want to say personally, right now, from the bottom of my heart, truly, thank you. Thank you for feeding my family, for loving this church in a practical, sacrificial way. Thank you for your generosity. But to the 164 of you who did not give to this church, but who call this church your home. And let me just say this practically. If you're married, I counted you got you. I assume that you share a bank account, and so I fixed the numbers in the spreadsheet, highlighted both your names. And by the way, if this is starting to touch a nerve, if this is starting to upset you a little bit hearing about your pastor spending hours this week of his sermon prep time going through the directory of all 452 people and and cross-referencing it with small group spreadsheets, and volunteering lists, and giving statements. If it bothers you that I know, I can look around the room right now and know which of you have financially supported the ministry of this church and which of you haven't, then I would just lovingly tell you you should probably find a church where the pastor cares less about your discipleship because this is absolutely a discipleship issue. Whether or not you come whether or not you live, whether or not you serve, especially whether or not you give, show me someone's time, how they use their time and their money. You're watching your wallet, and I will tell you what is important to you. Is church important to you? I can say for 288 of you, it was last year. It was important enough to give. But for 36% of you, Call West Hills your church home. You did not prioritize the church enough to give last year. And so here is your last call to action this morning.
in that same email that you're going to get on Thursday where you can click to serve. There will be a different button that you can click to set up an account and start giving. If you are one of those 36% who have been here longer than a few months now, again, kind of apologize to those of you. It's your first Sunday, catching us on a weird, it's kind of a family meeting kind of Sunday. But I'm kind of not sorry because I think it's important that you know the kind of church that we want to be, that we want to strive to be. Because God calls us to be this kind of church. Because he loves the church and he wants it to be well taken care of. But I didn't count you newcomers who aren't in the directory. But if you've been here for more than six months, a year, and you are still not supporting this church, serving, giving financially, I'm going to encourage you to click on that button in the email this week and start giving or lovingly to find another church where you can cheerfully, willingly, joyfully give and serve where it comes not just from from guilt, duty, obligation, but from joy. Don't do it for duty. Do it for delight. Do it because you get joy from gathering with the church. You get joy from growing alongside the church. You get joy from serving the church. You get joy from supporting the church because you know that it brings Jesus joy. This is his church. That's why we do it. It's his church. He loved it enough to die for it. Why do we do any of this? We love Christ and we love his church because he first loved us. We come because Jesus came to us in the manger. We live life together because he lived life with us. The ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows of life he experienced here on this earth to be with us. We serve because Jesus served us. He healed diseases. He cast out demons. He fed the hungry. He washed our feet. Most importantly, he served us as our perfect atoning sacrifice, dying in our place for the forgiveness of our sins on the cross. And so we give, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is so richly, lavishly given to us. Forgiveness, salvation, redemption, freedom, eternal life. He gave it all. He gave his life for you. This is why we do it.